Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 4. This morning we'll look at verses 11 and 12. James 4, 11 and 12. You know, sometimes petty little things have enormous implications for us. There are million examples of that, but a couple that I think of right off... Uh, a bunch of little birds uh, sucked into the engine of a multi-million dollar aircraft uh, can cause it to crash. No mechanical failure, no pilot error, birds. Or if you're in the medical field, a, a, a simple little needle prick, a careless moment. Pricked by a needle, hardly even noticeable, and yet can transmit the deadly HIV and you die from that. Petty little things sometimes have enormous implications. This morning in our worship, we've been thinking about enormous things, theological wonders of the majesty and the glory of God. I know as I put it together and sang the the songs and read the scriptures and thought through it, uh, my heart was lifted with praise. The God of all the nations, the God who rules the whole world, the God who will come in judgment and who at the same time is our deliverer, Wow, what glorious things. Then I came to James to study James chapter 4, and I looked at this text, and I said, Lord, is this really what we're going to preach on today? This seems like such a petty little thing. Then I'm reminded that petty little things have enormous implications. Pesky little birds destroy the engineer's dreams. Careless needle pricks in lives. So this morning I invite you to sit with me and consider a truth which the whole world, and maybe us, uh, uh, considers a petty little thing, something which God considers to have uh, enormous implications. Let me read it, verse 11 and 12. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? The subject here is about speaking against one another. Some translations call it evil speaking. The NIV here called it slander. Literally, the word means to speak down on. To speak down on your brother. We would probably use the colloquial expression, running someone down. That's something that's common. Running people down. Speaking down to people or about people. In other words, defaming, belittling denouncing, discrediting someone else. Now understand that the issue here is not about truth. One may run someone down, totally destroy him in the most malicious way without ever soiling your hands with falsehood, using only true statements. Alec Moyer in his uh, commentary here says, defamation is forbidden not as a breach of truth or even 
as a breach of love, but as a breach of humility. As one writer said, if we are really low before God, we have no altitude left from which to talk down to anyone. This seems like such a petty little thing. Speaking down on someone. Running people down. I'm not saying we never do it. We all do it. I'm guilty. You're guilty. You've heard me put people down, I'm sure. I've heard many of you put people down. In fact, some of us just naturally talk down to everyone. You know you're one of those if you don't have any friends. <laughs> Such a little problem, though, isn't it? Just I mean, talking down to people, putting people down. Is it really that serious? Sometimes petty little things have enormous implications. In the last chapter, we spoke of the sins of the tongue. We saw the enormous implications in terms of destruction. One little spark burn a whole forest down. Well, here James points out the enormous implications of this little flaw of the tongue in terms of our accountability to God. Not the destruction it does, but what it does in our relationship to God. Here James gives us three profound implications of this little sin. Three indictments which God levels against us. This is what you're doing when you speak down to one another. Three things that we'll think about this morning. First one says, denouncing one another betrays God's family. Denouncing one another betrays God's family. I see on the news that uh, public school teachers have been doing walk, one-day walkouts all around the state. I also see this week that Alaska Airlines has uh, canceled dozens of flights because the mechanics are staging a slowdown. I read in the newspaper yesterday or the day before that TWA's employees have rejected a contact, so they're all set to go on strike. And I think about this, is it possible that every one of those teachers and every one of those Alaska Airline mechanics and every one of those flight attendants and, and, and employees of TWA, does every one of those people have a gripe against the company? Enough to walk out? Oh no. It's just how a strike works. It's a matter of loyalty. Everyone's part of the union. You can't hurt one of us without taking on all of us. We will stand united. We are one. You're going to have to deal with all of us. And if anyone breaks ranks, he's a scab. Disloyal. Actually, there are a lot of relationships like that. I think of politics. Why is it that uh, we, we see votes in the Congress exactly along party lines? Republicans voting one way, Democrats voting the other. Do all those people really think that much alike? Oh, no. It's a matter of party loyalty. And then families. Boy, we're talking about family loyalty. Everyone knows that. Blood is thicker than water. No matter what he's done, he's family. Don't mess with my family, right? Well, here we see, suggested in this text, that God has established a new relationship, which is closer than any of those. It's closer than the union. It's closer than a political party. 
It's closer than a national identity, the fact that we're Americans or Canadians. It's closer than an ethnic identity. It's closer than your family. God has established his family. We who trust in Jesus have been joined by his spirit to him and made the children of God. And that means that we have become brothers and sisters in Christ. And that relationship takes precedence over all other relationships. It takes precedence over our racial differences, our socioeconomic differences, whether we're rich or poor, or educated or not educated, over our political differences, our cultural differences, even our gender differences. In Christ, we are brothers. That relationship not only joins us to one another, it makes us equal in a very special way. There is only one firstborn or elder brother who has a rank above everybody else, and his name is Jesus. All the rest of us are brothers and sisters. That's why the Lord Jesus told us, don't you call one another father or rabbi or master. You're all brothers, members of one family. But you see, folks, denouncing one another betrays that family relationship. James says it here. We see it in his text because of the way he repeatedly uses the word brother. Three times in verse 11, brothers do not slander anyone, or slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges his brother you notice he doesn't substitute a pronoun. He doesn't just say judges him. And he keeps repeating the word quite pointedly. Brother, brother, brother. You see, God is unmistakably pressing the point here. The point of our equality as brothers and sisters and the loyalty that that relationship demands. When one member of the family, one brother or sister, talks down another brother or sister... He is violating that principle of family solidarity. In fact, he is setting himself up above his brother. Something which no father is going to let happen for very long. You hear what it's saying here? First of all, are you part of that family? Should Christians call you brother? Because you've been reborn and adopted into the family? Are you really a disciple of Jesus, trusting him, abandoning yourself, and walking in obedience to him? You see, for too many people, our, our Christianity is just kind of like an ethnic identity. We're kind of born this way. We're born American. We're born Englishman. We're born Christian. That's all there is to it. Oh, no. Here he's talking about a family relationship that is much more profound than just kind of being born in this land. This morning I'm calling you to a distinctive, radical discipleship to Jesus. That's the only kind of valid Christianity there is. But if you are a brother or a sister in Christ, is this then how you understand this family relationship? You know, some of our human families are real quick to remind us of our obligation to be loyal to the family. But this morning I'll tell you, 
you have a greater obligation to be loyal to God's family than you do even to your own family. We, we see how far God is willing to push that when we read in Acts chapter 4 that some of the people, when others in the church were suffering and struggling and poor, went out and sold property that they have to give to the church to help the poor brothers and sisters. Family loyalty. The kind of thing you would only do for your little kid sister. Here on the most basic level, this family loyalty among God's children means we don't destroy one another with words. We don't slander one another. We don't run one another down. We would rather cover a fault than let it destroy our brother. You see, denouncing one another is a betrayal of God's family. That's the first indictment that the Lord brings, the first uh, great consequence, but he, there's more to it than that. Secondly, he tells us that to defame one another, to defame your brother, is to judge God's law. Defaming your brother judges God's law. Back in the Watergate days, for those of you who remember Watergate, uh, where President Nixon was forced to resign, brought down in shame, this was the issue. It wasn't the Watergate break-in itself, which he probably had no knowledge of at all. It was that in the, in the ensuing cover-up, he acted as if he were above the law. In fact, in the recent impeachment of President Clinton, this has been the greatest concern. He acted as if he was above the law. But a basic premise in this country is that no one is above the law, not even presidents. Now, if that's true of the law of the United States, how much more is it true of God's law? No one is above God's law. That's exactly James's point. When we defame our brother, it not only violates the family structure by exalting us over our brother, it violates God's law, for we set ourselves above the law. That's what verse 11 is telling us. Let me read it again. Brothers, do not speak down on one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. Defaming your brother judges the law. Now that's an interesting thought. How's that true? How does speaking down on your brother cause you to be sitting in judgment of God's law? Well, what does the law require of you concerning how you speak in regard to your brother? Well, I think of the ninth commandment that says, you will not bear false witness against your brother. What does that mean? What all does that include? Well, throughout the ages, of God's, as God's people reflected on all the implications of that, they've written some of them down. In the catechisms, we find 
some explanation, unpacking what these things mean. Let me read you some of uh, the, the question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism that uh, deals with this. What does this mean, this ninth commandment? It means that God's will is that I never give false testimony against anyone, that I twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone without a just cause. And then it concludes later, I should do what I can to guard and advance my neighbor's good name. According to the catechism, those who wrote it, not just this catechism, some others would say similar things. If you really think about the implications of the ninth commandment, it means you can't speak down on your brother. You can't slander him and condemn him. Well, Leviticus 19, 16, another part of God's law is very much more explicit. It says, quote, do not go about spreading slander among your people. That's pretty straightforward. The law requires we not slander one another. Oh, but James has talked earlier back in chapter 2 about the royal law, the ultimate law, which is you will love your neighbor as yourself. Well, loving your neighbor as yourself certainly forbids us to speak down on our neighbor, to put him down, to slander him, to speak evil of him. You see, defaming your brother violates God's law. When we speak evil or defame our brother, we break the law. We stop being doers of the law and become breakers of the law. But we do worse than that, James says here. When we break this law, we don't just break it, we actually set ourselves above the law. We sit in judgment of the law. When we put ourselves in a position, when we, when we speak down to our brothers, we put ourselves in a position of judging the law and deciding whether God's word is worthy of our obedience or not. God clearly commands this, and so if I don't do it, I've said, I don't think that command is worthy of my obedience. I put myself in the judgment seat to judge the validity of God's commands. It's as if we act as, as though we have some higher priority. I know God says I will not speak down to my brother. I know he says I will not slander, I will not twist his words. But I have a higher priority. This needs to be said, and God's law is deficient in that it doesn't address this. And so I'm going to address it myself. You see what I've done? I've not only said in judgment of my brother, I've said in judgment of God's law. I said, God's word is not sufficient. God's word is stupid. God's word is uh, inadequate. It won't work for this situation. I need to address this person. And God's law is not good enough. This person needs to be talked down on. And God's law is not wise enough to get the job done. So I'm going to take in my hands to set him straight what God couldn't do. Now that doesn't sound so pretty when you put it that way, does it? But that's what James is saying here. That's what the Lord is saying here. When we defame our brother, we don't just exalt ourselves above our brother. We exalt ourselves above God's law that tells us not to defame our brother. We make ourselves exempt. We set ourselves up as the judge over which laws deserve to be obeyed and which don't. 
Some petty little things have enormous implication. When you put down your brother, you may have been trying to show how true to God's law you could be, refusing to tolerate this weak or erring brother who's gone astray. There are better ways to do that. God says when you talk down on your brother, what you really are doing is refusing to tolerate his word, his law, which commands you not only to tolerate, but to forgive and to love and to cherish and to nurture this brother rather than running him down. Oh, this is an easy trap to fall into. We believe the Bible is God's word, and yet we always, all of us, have a tendency to pick and choose what it is we're going to obey and what it is we choose not to obey. But when we do, we set ourselves up as the judge. <clears throat> well, one more thing. One more implication which God tells us. When we judge our neighbor, we defy God himself. When we judge our neighbor, we defy God. I remember when I was a seminary student, that's actually quite a number of years ago now. It doesn't seem so long, but I guess it's more than 20 years. We were sitting in on live counseling sessions. There was a counseling center across the street from the seminary, and we took courses over there sometimes. And people came there with real problems, seeking help from counselors who worked there. And we would sit in in the back of the room in these live counseling sessions, real people with real problems being counseled, and we would listen, and then after it was over, we would kind of critique what we heard and uh, learn from it. Well, the student that I was with was very critical. I mean, no matter what the counselor, instructor did, when we critiqued it, the student had a better way to, of doing it. Well, you should have done this, and you should have done that, and you should have done the other thing. Well, the instructor put up with us for a little while, and then one day, in the middle of the counseling session, quite without warning, he uh, said to this student, come up here, I want you to just take over and handle this. And he went and sat down in the back, and left the student counseling this person with big-time trouble. Well, as you can guess, it, uh, it didn't take very long to make the point. It's one thing to pick away at somebody who's trying to do something. It's quite another to do it. <laughs> and uh, it was only a few moments before the student was begging for help and floundering. And, and uh, the look of relief was amazing as he finally, the instructor bailed him out and resumed the counseling himself. It's easy to criticize, but really few of us want to really take on the whole responsibility. But you know we do that with God. We never seem to be satisfied with how he does things. We always have a better way, how he should have dealt with us, what he should have done. We always find things deficient in his plans. If only God had done this, if only he had done that, I don't understand why he did this. Why on earth, God, did you let this happen? But then few, few of us really are willing to take on God and say, I can do a better job. James says, that's the stakes here. When we judge our brother, we not only set ourselves above the rest of the family as if we're the judge, and we not only exalt ourselves above the law, I'll decide whether to obey or not. When we judge our brother, we do nothing less than defy God himself. That's what verse 12 says. Let me read it again. There is only one lawgiver and judge the one who is able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge? 
your brother. The point is that there is only one who gives the law, and there is only one who is in a position to judge, and that's God. So when we set ourselves up as judges of one another, when we presume that we have all the facts, that we know all the mitigating circumstances, that we comprehend all the motives and the intentions of the heart, and therefore we are ready to talk our brother down, what we're actually doing is pushing God off the bench and saying, I will take control now, God. I will be the judge. Paul argues the same point in Romans 14 in the context of judging our brothers. There he asks, Why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And then later in the same chapter he says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Oh, I find it so helpful for myself to always try to remember two great truths. Today is not judgment day, and I'm not the judge. When we judge our brother, we defy God. We take God's place. Oh, make no mistake, this does not dismiss other passages where God clearly calls on his church to judge certain matters. Nor does it dismiss the proper role of uh, civil government uh, that is called to adjudicate uh, matters before the government courts. There's no question God has established the church to act as a court and to judge cases and has established the, the, the civil government to act as a court to judge cases. This doesn't deny those things. But you see, courts function quite different differently than backbiters and slanderers and people putting down their brothers. Courts judge specific charges after the facts have been investigated, after hearing both sides of the case argued by competent counsel. But when we talk down our brother, normally there are no specific charges. We we gather and expand them as we go. There's no evidence necessary, we just declare things to be. There's no opportunity to answer the charges or to cross-examine the accusers. Our brother would have a better chance in court than at the hands of a slanderer. Here God says, I will not be dethroned in this way. Verse 12, we're reminded he is not only the lawgiver and judge, he is the one who is able to save and destroy. I think the implications of that statement are that he is quite competent to do his work. Even in the ultimate terms of eternal salvation and destruction, God says, I can handle it. You leave judgment in my hands. As I said before, today is not judgment day. And you're not the judge. Sometimes petty little things have enormous implication. A little flock of birds to bring a multi-million dollar aircraft down. A little needle stick 
and spread deadly disease. And talking down on, slandering, putting down one another is one of those little things with big time implications. It betrays the family of God. It sets us up above God's law rather than being obeyers of the law. And it defies and dethrones God who is the only rightful judge. James ends verse 12 with an appropriate question. Who do you think you are? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, every one of us has talked down our brother or sister. And it's so common among us, and it's so common in the world, that we're in the habit of doing this, and we don't even think about it. What kind of church would it be, Lord, if your people never did this, refused to ever talk down a brother or sister, that if there was a, a rightful case, the church would judge it as a court, the state would judge violations of the state's law, but that your people never talked one another down. Oh Lord, we can already imagine such a glorious body, such a wonderful family to be part of. Help us, Lord, to be that. Help this little chapel to be a beginning of such a place as we guard our mouths, our tongues, and humble ourselves before you, before your law, before your judgment. Humble ourselves as a member, a brother, a sister in your family. Oh Lord, make these truths real, practical in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name.